The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to this month's AV Forums Home Cinema Podcast. Coming up, we look back at IFA, Cedia Expo, and we also have a look at some of the products that have been through for review recently. And joining me this month on the Home Cinema Podcast is AV Forums reviewer Steve Withers. Hi Steve, how are you? I'm very well, thank you Phil. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. And uh, we've got lots to talk about this month. We missed out last month. Must be the month before that too, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And Neil and Graham aren't around this month. So we're going to talk about lots of things that we saw at IFA in Berlin. Uh, We're also going to have a quick look at Cedia in Atlanta. A lot of new products there. Plus some of the products that we've reviewed recently. And of course, coming up very soon, Steve, uh, in fact, it's almost 13 weeks, I think, is uh, CES, which is the largest show of the year. It kicks off 2011 on the uh, 6th of January, and it's your first show this year. It is, and I'm quite excited, I have to be honest. Really, really looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing uh, seeing the show in Vegas and uh, checking out what is, without doubt, the largest um, AV show of the year. And hopefully there'll be lots of really interesting new products to see. And of course, that's the show that sets us up for the year ahead and uh, lets us know what's coming. But let's not jump ahead of ourselves. We have been to two shows in the last couple of months. And uh, September was a really busy month for us, Steve. Uh, first of all, we were in Berlin for IFA. And then at the end of the month, uh, we went over to Atlanta. We went to see you there. And we also did the THX video calibration course. So let's uh, let's pick up on that one first because I think that's that that's really going to interest uh, a lot of people out there who will maybe say, "Well, what's the difference between the THX course and the ISF course?" Yeah, I think that's a valid valid question. And um, from having actually been lucky enough to do both the ISF level two and the THX video calibration courses, um, I'd say the major difference is that there is a lot more hands on. Uh, on the THX course, I mean, there is hands-on on the on the ISF one as well. I mean, that's the reason why Joel created it. But you know, to be honest, on the THX one, you're sitting there. The classes are kept very small. There are two teachers, um, so you've probably got a ratio of about one teacher to three or four students. There's um, the uh, there's well, I mean, seven or eight uh, flat panel displays plus two or three projectors that day, Phil. So, you know, lots of hands-on experience. You go through calibration. By the end of the, of the two days, you will, you know, you were to do a, 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 you know, a thorough calibration of both grayscale, CMS, you know, as well as brightness, contrast, etc. cetera. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it really is a well-thought-out um, and laid-out course that, um, that really gives you a thorough grounding in actual hands-on calibration. I think one of the problems with a lot of courses is, you know, you do a lot of book work and you come away and you really don't know how to do a calibration because you haven't actually got your hands on it. And in the end of the day, the best way to learn is by doing. And, and that's certainly the philosophy they use on the THX course. Well, for, uh, for those of you interested out there in the THX course and uh, want to do that, then stay tuned to AV Forums because we might have some news for you come the new year. Uh, so let's go back to the beginning of September, Steve, and uh, IFA in Berlin. Uh, we went out there and uh, the first stand that we went to was LG. And I've got to say that the LG stand this year uh, was very good and lots of really 
intuitive technology coming on their TVs now. They really are stepping up from uh, what was once considered a, a budget brand. Um, they're now offering screens in the higher end uh, realms of the uh, home electronics uh, world and th they're nailing it as well. Definitely, def definitely. I mean, I was I, I was also very impressed with their stand. I mean, they had on what they have on show. They had the uh, the PX990, which was launched at IFA, which is the world's first three, uh, THX 3D display. They had the nanotechnology that they'll be launching next year, which I think will probably address the fact that the panel was very close to the backlighting on the on their super thin. Um, um, LED backlight TVs where they were using actual backlighting rather than having the light you know, from the edge. So that, that looked quite interesting. They also had some very interesting developments on the uh, internet TV side. Uh, so all in all, yeah, definitely, they're really pushing the uh, envelope in terms of uh, television technology right now. And of course, the, the nanotechnology is... Uh, it's, a, it's another step for uh, LED, LCD TV in its quest to, to try and equal plasma in terms of, of, of image quality. And certainly what we've seen from, from that camp from LG this year with the LE8900 and the LE9900, oh no, sorry, the LX9900, which yeah. was the, the 3D version, the only, the only drawback we had with those TVs, the only things that, that really niggled with us was the, the backlight banding uh, because of just what you've described there, that the backlight was just too close to the screen so it's, it sounds like they've taken on the feedback that certainly we've given them obviously uh, there'll be others that have given them similar feedback it seems to me that they've taken that on with the new nanotechnology um, and I have to say I mean a show floor is not a place to uh, give a proper evaluation of a product but I have to say it did look really good it did indeed the other thing they had on show which uh, I, I absolutely loved was the 31 inch OLED uh, 3D TV that did look absolutely spectacular. If they can get that to be 50 inches, I'm definitely a buyer of one of those. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it's one of these things that this technology's been on the cusp of happening for the domestic market for the last five or six years now. Um, and it seems to be that only LG, certainly at IFA, uh, only LG were the, the ones pushing the technology as something that, that may appear next year. Yeah, that was that's absolutely true, and but it did look wonderful. I mean, really, really nice image, and the 3D looked really good too. So, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully they'll they'll get that cracked, and we'll see something uh, next year. Uh, moving on, of course, the the other big TV manufacturer there who who took up uh, a lot of space was uh, Panasonic. They had their new 3D models that were launching the VT20 at 42 and 46 inch size and they also launched the gt20 which uh, you've had a look at and reviewed for the site Indeed. steve yeah how did it perform gt20 uh it performed very well actually i mean you know it's 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 a really good budget 3d tv essentially it misses a few things that are miss that they're on the vt20 but but overall it was a good performer yeah, obviously apart from one major or minor depending on po your point of view uh thing which is it does have still have an issue with with 50 hertz but overall you know, it's a good little performer. I think, for my money, 42 inches is too small for 3D. You just don't get a kind of, um, you don't get that full immersion in, in the environment that you would on a larger display or even more better on, on a projector. But I suppose for gamers, it'd be, it, it could be you know, a really good TV to buy because you, know, you, you pretend to be sat much closer to the screen when you're gaming. So f from that perspective, that might be one of its more, you know, prime markets, I think. But uh, yeah, good overall performer. Now, you mentioned uh, gaming there on, on the GT20 and uh, a little bit of confusion on the web seems to relate to how different review sites do the, the measurements for, for lag. Um, we measured 
10 milliseconds in games mode, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. But so obviously some sites are reporting almost uh, three times that. Now, let's try and put this in perspective, Steve, for people out there. I mean, 30 milliseconds compared to 10 milliseconds, it's only really going to be the hardcore gamers who want that instant, the, the, the instant they press the control, they want something to happen on screen. The majority of people are not going to notice that, are they? No, I mean, I certainly wouldn't. I mean, I'm, I'm in no way a hardcore gamer at all. But yeah, I mean, I defy anyone to tell them between t- 10 and t- 30 milliseconds. Um, the interesting thing on those measurements was also that uh, one of the other sites measured it in 2D to 3D mode, and that measured it 16 milliseconds. So uh, I think there's a lot of conflicting numbers on that particular display for some reason. So that was the GT20. They also launched the, the VT20. Some nice looking uh, 3D cameras as well. Now, we're talking about a lack of content in the last podcast, we'll obviously we're going to cover that point again because uh, we still don't have any discs to watch. But uh, the thing that, that did surprise me a little bit was how quickly these 3D cameras, especially video cameras, uh, are now coming to market and offering people the creative element that they can go out and create their own 3D material. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely... Uh, I've actually got a friend who's who's bought a, not one of the big 3D cameras that we saw with Panasonic, but uh, a little Fuji... Uh, just a, a camera, basically, but does also do video in 3D. And, you know, it, it does add a whole... I mean, looking at... Um, Photographs where people are moving and you know in a photograph where they they're caught, caught in mid motion in 3D is, is quite an effective uh, quite effective um, you know image and uh, you know definitely uh, as a whole obviously this is obvious but it has a whole other dimension to photography and and video and you know when you watch it on a 3D TV it, you know it's very interesting and you know things that you don't take things you wouldn't even think about suddenly become like leaves blowing in the wind in front of you all this kind of stuff makes the image much more involving. And uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think as you said, Phil, there is a lack of content at the moment. So um, being able to create your own is at least one way of addressing that issue. Let's move on to Sharp. Uh, they also launched their first 3D TV at IFA, uh, the LE925, if I've got that model number correct. Quite a nice looking set in terms of design, Steve, and uh, certainly very yellow. Yeah, <laughs> we actually did have a little chat with uh, with Sharp while we were there. Because they know they were, they wanted to discuss my review and why I was so critical. And as we said, you know, we don't really mind what they do, as long as ultimately you can at least um, calibrate the display to Rec. Seven Hundred Nine. And the problem with that, their their current range of displays is you can't. I mean, they're way out because they're pushing yellow so much. And obviously, you know, well, their display was full of yellow custard and yellow. You know, um, paint and lots of gold and golden statues because they always look great with additional yellow in there but but you know it's not a natural image and you know we always we do it at the, at the forums try and you know push the idea that you want to create what the director intended you to see and that then they were mastered it direct 709 in, in their mastering studio and that's what you should be trying to replicate with your display Exactly. Uh, I love that line that always comes back uh, when you you have any criticism. They, they say, "Well, we've won Best Buy badges from <laughs> from our review." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's move on. Uh, Sony uh, had the uh, entire hall, as they normally do there, uh, Hall Six Point Two, I think it is. They're there every year. They take over the the entire hall. Lots of stuff on display, Steve. Uh, one thing that interested us, and we got to see it again at Cedia, was the VW90ES uh, 3D projector. It looks like consumers, uh, they're going to have to pay for it, uh, but they, they are going to get 3D projection this year. 
Yeah, definitely. There were a few 3D, 3D projectors around. There was a Sony, um, not at um, at IFA, but uh, later on we'll go come back to I guess on the CD discussion. But there was JVC, of course, as well. There was uh, Mitsubishi. They had one, didn't they, at Cedia? And uh, El- no, Sharp. How Sharp had a projector we saw, didn't we, as well? So yeah, lots of projectors coming, which is great because if you're talking 3D, the bigger the image, the better it is, in my opinion. The more immersive the experience, the more I like going to see the movies at the cinema. So, um, so a good, you know, definitely a, a step in the right direction in terms of um, projectors, as long as they're bright enough. And I guess that's the key, key question most people are going to be asking when it comes to 3D projectors: Are they bright enough? In the case of the the Mitsubishi, and let's move on to that because uh, it was one projector that we both took some time over. Um, we couldn't grab hold of a, a rep on the stand for an interview or to discuss the, the technology in any detail, but it's basically an SXRD machine. We're guessing that it's based on the Sony just because of the fact it's using Sony technology in there. Uh, but when you put the glasses on, Steve, the, the drop in brightness, um, it almost made the image unwatchable. It was staggering how dim the image was, and they and they were showing a bright clip from Despicable Me. It wasn't uh, like you know you're watching a bit of the Dark Knight. It was a bright, colourful, you know, CG animated cartoon, and it still looked really dim. And that's not a good sign, I don't think. We did get, um, I think, the Sharp demo that looked better, brighter. Unfortunately, they were using. Um, uh, cats and dogs which is a 2d to 3d conversion so the 3d didn't look very good but uh, that wasn't the projector's fault that was the source material yeah but that looked brighter i, I obviously uh, i can't really comment on the brightness of sony because i didn't actually get a chance to see it at um, ifa no uh that was just one thing we didn't manage to get have a look at however um i have been speaking to uh their pr and hopefully we'll have uh, the VW90 in for a full in-depth review uh, very soon. And uh, obviously we'll talk about the JVC projectors as well, Steve, a little bit later. Um, but the other things from IFA, what else stood out for you at this year's show? Yeah, well, there was obviously the Galaxy tablet that Samsung launched, which generated quite a bit of interest, especially from the mainstream media. Um, not so interesting to me personally, but but it, it, at least it had a almost 16 to 9 shaped screen, which is a big step up from the uh, from the iPad, in my opinion, for things like movie watching. Um, otherwise, the Samsung stand was a bit disappointing because they didn't really have anything else that was new there. It was all just existing technology uh, and then their current lineup of TVs. I always, I always find that frustrating with Samsung. They have this huge uh, stand area at that show. I mean, it's twice the size of what they have at CES. Um, but in, in the last two years, they have released deadly squat new products in terms of tv um and the other thing recently which we've had real hassle trying to get hold of their plasma tvs for review and it appears to us that they don't want to send out the plasma tvs for the <laughs> review they want to send out their led lcd tvs or as they call them led TVs. led tvs um and, and i've got i've got to say i find that frustrating on a number of reasons, but but the main reasons are that, that their picture processing at the moment is some of the best out there in terms of uh, cadence detection, in terms of upscaling SD content. Uh, they absolutely nail that. Uh, they're, they're one of the only manufacturers that really do a good job of that. And the other thing is that, that they are one of three remaining plasma manufacturers and it seems like the, they're just ignoring the enthusiast market and the market for, for those who want uh, that pioneer type uh, picture quality, that, that pioneer type 
uh, product. I, I mean, you could obviously point the same finger at Panasonic and say that they're making TVs on the on a price level and, and getting some things wrong. But the thing for Samsung is it's a huge show like that, and there was nothing new. No, that's true. Although at least um, we have had a chance to test one of their plasmas now. So uh, the C7000, will be, the review will be going up hopefully this week. Um, and as a quick taster for everybody, uh, it, it was a good TV, great TV. Really liked it. You know, uh, as you said, Phil, the processing on, on, on the Samsung was absolutely superb. Some of the best around, which, which is wonderful. The image was lovely. The accuracy of the colors and the grayscale was very good. Excellent, in fact. Um, good calibration controls. A um, little bit of an issue with image retention sometimes on Samsung. So I've noticed other, other plasmas they make. Um, black levels are very good. Not Panasonic standard, but uh, pretty close. Um, so overall, I was really pleased with it. I thought it was a great TV. I'm not 100% convinced by the uh, the design, the brushed aluminium look. Personally, I think I like black TVs. Um, and, the, and the remote control could be something of an acquired taste. I actually really like it, but other people hate it because it's kind of touch sensitive. Um, but overall, it was, a, it was a great TV. Really liked it. And wish I could see more of them from, uh, from Samsung, really. Yeah, Samsung, start sending us plasma TVs, please. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on. We'll be back in a few seconds, and we're going to talk about Cedia in Atlanta. The highest definition. 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 This is the AV Forums podcast. So that was our roundup of the IFA show, which was at the beginning of September. If you want to catch the videos, they are up there at avforums.tv. Uh, and we did quite a few videos from the show floor. So if you're interested in that, we, uh, we covered a lot of the topics that we just discussed. And there's also videos up there from Cedia in Atlanta, their uh, American Expo. And Steve, I guess the obvious thing is we have to compare it with uh, the UK Expo, uh, which happens every June. And uh, it's like night and day, isn't it? A little bit bigger at the uh, the American one than the UK one, and uh, a lot, you know, a lot more. Uh, obviously, obviously, I mean, I, I guess it's partly because you know, custom installation is such a massive market in the US compared to the UK. Um, but you know, it's really obvious when you get there. There's so much on display in so many different firms, specialising in so much stuff to do with home installation, from guys selling the hardware to actually install things to, uh, to you know, the, to the, the cinema seats and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it is a bit different. But I guess the the big plus point of the American show is the fact that a lot of projector manufacturers bring the new models out just before Cedia. Um, so it's a good opportunity for us to go and have a look at the new projector technology from the, the £90,000 machines all the way down to the uh, the new entry levels from the likes of JVC and Sony and so on. Um, so let's talk about JVC first of all. Uh, three new projectors coming in their main, main line, the X3, the X7 and the X9. X9. Now, this year, it appears to be, and uh, don't hold us to this because we haven't reviewed them yet, but it appears to be that it's it's a one-model step-up this year. So uh, certainly the X3 is based on the last year's 950, but without the CMS. Uh, the X7 is based on the outgoing HD 990, and the X9 is pushing the technology to a level that which we haven't seen yet, Steve. Yeah, no, it looks, um, I mean, I must admit, I can't wait to see some of those in action because they, they do sound incredible. I mean, I think you've actually seen them in action, Phil, so you can probably comment better than I can. But uh, yeah, I mean, the idea of having uh, having 
a, a JV, I'm a big fan of JVC projectors. I have to be honest here. Um, the idea of seeing what they can do with 3D as well would would, would be fascinating, with, especially with the kind of black levels they can get out of their projectors. Um, Question is, are they going to be bright enough? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Good. You don't have to panic there. Uh, <laughs> there is there is a loss in brightness. Uh, you're talking about sixty percent loss. That's what I would put the figures on. We were lucky enough, Steve Carter and uh, Gary B, who are regulars on the forum, uh, they invited us down uh, the day before the main press day, and we spent a whole morning uh, with the guys at JVC playing about with uh, the X7 and having a really good look at it. Now, it was a pre-production uh, engineering sample, so I'm not going to comment too much on terms of performance because uh, we have been promised the first ones that come in the country for review. We will review them as soon as they land on the doorstep. Uh, but in terms of performance, 3D was particularly good, Steve. I've got to say, and, and that's been backed up by a lot of the comments on the forums uh, from the Manchester show where the public got to see the, the pre-production model um, at the Manchester show ahead of uh, ahead of the press, basically. A um, lot of uh, uh, good feedback there for JVC, and I've got to say it's warranted on, on what I've seen so far. Um, the 3D was nice and bright. The only thing is with a larger image, you do pick up on the artifacts that are in the image, in the 3D image, uh, certainly on the sky broadcasts. I did notice a, a good amount of crosstalk um, on there. However, we did get, a, I'm, not allowed, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but we did get a look at Disney's, um, or certainly I got to look at a Bolt uh, from Disney, uh, which is a 3D Blu-ray. I've got to say, for the, from the 3D Blu-ray, uh, crosstalk is minimal. It is there now and again if you go looking for it. I'm going to guess at the screen size here. I think it was a 110-inch, possibly a 120-inch Stuart screen that we were watching it on. Uh, nothing special about the screen. It wasn't a silver screen or anything like that. It was a 1.3 gain, uh, if I remember correctly. And it looks really good in 3D. For 2D, definite step up. Uh, I have to say the X7 looks very much like our reference HD 990 that I've got here in the review room. Um, obviously, I, I haven't seen them side by side yet, but it is one test that we will do for the forum members. Uh, when we get that review model through, we will put the two of them side by side and uh, give you an honest opinion of what we think. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have a look at, at, at an in-depth look at this technology because JVC have yet to drop the ball when it comes to yeah, projectors definitely and the price points are not too bad either so yeah i guess the other big question uh, and i know it's one that we've been asked on the forums and it's certainly one that we it's one of the first tests that we will do when we get the product through is the x3 um there is a, a rec 709 picture preset there's no a cms unfortunately on the x3 um and this is one thing i can't get my head around with JVC, is it's why they don't put a, a CMS system in there. If you look at projectors at the same price point as the X3 from Sony, from Optoma, from uh, Epson, yeah. uh, they all have 3D, full 3D, 7-point uh, CMS systems. Panasonic as well. There you go. There's another one. Panasonic at that price level, actually cheaper, has a CMS. So I, I don't get JVC's problem with putting a, a cms on the machine the only thing i can think about is it's a marketing thing and you know if there was a cms on the x3 then people wouldn't upgrade to the to the x7 but uh you know you're talking about <laughs> a big a big jump in 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 uh, contrast um contrast performance uh, you're talking about 
Uh, certainly with the X9, it's going to have the best 10% of the, of the uh, components put in like they did with the HD 990. So there's definitely uh, an upsell there. Um, so I just don't get the whole CMS thing. I don't no, no, it is a bit strange, Phil. Um, is the... Uh with the with the new JVCs, do they all have the the bulb that mirrors the mimics the Xenon bulb? Is, is was that on the, the X9? Right, they, they're using a new. They, this is why the projectors are, are, are a lot uh, larger this year. They're using a, a, a two hundred and fifty watt UHP lamp. Uh, no, is it a two hundred and fifty? Is it two hundred and twenty? You know, my memory's like a sieve tonight, but <laughs> it's it's definitely a, a brighter lamp that's in there. So obviously, it needs a lot more cooling, which is why. Uh, the cooling system and the optical path has been redesigned for these projectors. There is a color setting in there for Xeon, and it's Xeon 1, 2, and 3. I had to play about with it. I couldn't really see uh, by eye uh, any real differences there in terms of uh, uh, in terms of color performance. Uh, one of the strange things, I don't know if it was just because it was a pre-production model or not, but um, when we had it in 3D mode, uh, you can put it in a THX, you can put it into any of the picture modes uh, on there. But it, there's also a new selection point now called Color Balance. And uh, you can go in there and choose, I think in 3D mode, it's something like Natural or Standard, Vivid and Dynamic. Now, in the Vivid and uh, the Natural, there was a real lack of red energy. I mean, I can notice that straight away uh, in the image. It was very yellow. Yet, when you put it in the Dynamic color balance it brought that red energy back into the image um that's very counterintuitive that's not what what i was expecting yeah. to see um so it will be interesting when, when we get that on the test bench and, and really give it a good uh, going over and test absolutely everything and measure absolutely everything be interesting to see uh what how the production model uh, works in it if it works in the same way uh, but very impressive gotta say very impressive. presumably in 2d it's uh, quite a bit brighter than uh, 1300 lumens across the board on on mm. all of the machines uh, so that's a good jump up for for jvc a lot of talk about anti-contrast figures um i think some sites have published the anti-contrast that they've measured um and they haven't seen any improvement on what they measured last year, or certainly that's what they're reporting. Um, however, there's no production models out there at the moment. Um, they're all engineering samples, so it'd be interesting to see. But again, anti-contrast measurements, it's one of the reasons why we don't do it, because we're both based in separate locations. It all comes down to the environment, how much light's on the screen. Are you using a, a, a dedicated blacked out tunnel to measure on the screen? Uh, or are you using uh, just a, a normal screen in normal conditions and so on? Yeah, you'll back me up on this, Steve, but <laughs> th things can change even with, with your mobile phone light in the room or lights from an AVR in yeah. the same room as your projection screen. If it's in line of sight or even just off line of sight, it's going to affect your contrast. It's going to affect your contrast ratio. In you know, to get the very best out of these machines, you basically have to sit in a black hole. Yeah. Which you just can't achieve, even in in custom designed rooms. Uh, it's very very difficult to get it absolutely black. So you're always going to affect your contrast ratio. So when it comes to things like anti contrast, on off contrast, that kind of thing, I'm very very wary of uh, of measurements. Mm. One final thing on the JVCs, um, just to put on a cosmetic basis, or maybe not cosmetic, maybe it's a reason for it, but the lens is now back in the middle of the projector, which I actually always preferred. Yeah, uh, got to agree with you there. Although I do like the smaller form factor of the 
the HD 990. I yeah. like the fact that it was thinner than the HD one and so on. We're back again to slightly wider than the HD one um, with a new cooling system and the lens centrally mounted. I guess for installers, uh, which is, you know, our very large uh, percentage of JVC's market is the custom install. Uh, for things like like fitting anamorphic lenses and that kind of thing, it just make, makes it a lot easier to to line up the projectors, install them properly, add yeah. the lenses on properly, and so on. Um, you're not off to one side, so yeah, a little change. But I've got to say, I think they look gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous in new machines. One of one of the interesting things that we saw at Cedia, and there was a video about it on the uh, on on the forum, um, starring in fact me, is the is the THX certified uh, screening room that Procella put together. On the uh, on the actual show floor, which is the first time there'd ever been uh, a THX certified screening room on a show floor, and I have to say, it was quite impressive, wasn't it, Phil? Very impressive, Steve. And of course, the the big thing with any screening room to to achieve uh, maximum performance is your noise ceiling um, or your NC uh, measurement. Yeah. Um, it has to be below. Uh, no, I always get mixed up with this, but I think it's fifteen for THX. It's uh, it's. Well, I think it's that low, actually. I think it's it's 20, but... Right, okay. I think Yeah, you're right. It's 20 and it's 15 for reference. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult to get hit those figures. The majority of forum members out there will not achieve those types of figures in their home cinemas. Um, you're basically talking about designing a room within a room. Within a room, yeah, and totally isolating it and putting the projector in a separate box, hush box, or in a separate room entirely. You know, it's very difficult. So to be able to sit on a show floor and close the door and not be able to hear the crowd outside was quite impressive. Yeah. And that, you genuinely couldn't hear the crowd outside. Yeah, that that was the main impressive thing. Um, we did watch a few clips in there. Um, i got to say, I don't know if it was just me, but I found it was a well-designed room, uh, good performance. The Priscilla speakers, I thought, were, oh, how am I going to put this? Uh, they were not as delicate a sound as... I would like to hear in terms of, uh, and I guess it's just because I'm used to uh, using studio monitors and that kind of thing in, in my systems in the past. I just thought they were maybe just a little bit brash. They were certainly yeah. loud. Um, it was really loud, actually. Yeah. Re- reference level is, is frankly, for me, too loud. Yeah, but uh, again, it, just, there was just that little bit of brashness. I don't know if that was the room, the setup, because they were having issues with the demo when we were in, trying to get it to run on time and so on. But the other thing was, um, I found the room a little bit dead. I don't know about you, Steve. I just thought it needed that little bit more reflection in in the rear. Yeah, they may have done it a bit with the absorption. I think um, you're right. It was a little bit dead in there because we could tell that because we, when we were in there just talking and doing the interviews, uh, it, it, yeah, there was a sense of it being slightly. I think maybe they maybe done it a little bit with the uh, with the absorption, particularly at the back. Yeah, uh, but otherwise, you know, that was £700,000 worth. Or se- <laughs> sorry, $700,000 worth, worth of demonstration. That's that's just something you will never see in the UK, folks. <laughs> you, will, <laughs> you will never see a, a, a show floor with something like that on. And for that point there, and the fact that, that we spent a lot of that morning with the guys from Epic who built the room, and also uh, Andrew Poulin from, from THX who... Uh, four members on no because we've interviewed interviewed Andrew quite a few times. Andrew's not the the home certification; <laughs> he's the professional certification. The, does the cinemas? Yeah, yeah. He does the cinemas. And he they, did the Empire Left the Square, and they signed off on that room. So that tells you how good uh, that room 
did perform. So, so that was an interesting thing. So uh, moving on from the THX room, Steve, and uh, the other big story, one which got uh, quite a few people on the forums excited, was uh, the announcement from Projection Design of a 235 native DLP projector. So what were your thoughts after seeing it? Well, I, once, I was quite excited myself, to be honest, until I saw it, and unfortunately, it did not live up to expectations. Um, the image that I saw, now maybe this was because of the source material, I'm not sure, but it was riddled with um, scaling artifacts. They, what they're doing is taking a 4K chip um, and then obviously just using uh, 2.35 of that, um, of that ratio, of that 116 to 9 chip, um, and then scaling the image to fit that. So... Um, there were scaling artifacts all over it, and it just looked terrible to me, absolutely terrible. And it wasn't even on a particularly large screen, and it looked awful. So a big disappointment there. Yeah, I've, I've got to say we've been waiting some time now for Texas Instruments to, to do something with a, with a new chip. And, and I read the press release the same as you read the press release uh, before we went out to the show. And they were insinuating in the press release that it was a brand new chip that was native. Yeah. Um, but that was not the case, and, and that was the biggest disappointment. The other disappointment was it was $38,000. <laughs> I wouldn't have given you $38 for it, frankly. <laughs> and uh, if if you're rolling in money, the SIM2 stand. Now, SIM2 always do great products. Uh, we're, we're not making fun of SIM2 here. They do some excellent products. You've had a look at the Miko 50 uh, recently, yep. uh, which did very well, apart from one or two little issues which uh, they said they're going to iron out and fix. But um, uh, their 3D approach is you buy one Loomis projector at 20 or £1,000, and then you buy a second one and stack them. Yep, that's it. Brilliant. So they are 40, 50 grand, and it's all yours. And... Um, I'm not sure that's the best approach. I guess it's brighter, but um, yeah, expensive way of doing it. And rather ugly looking, I thought, having two projectors stacked on top of each other in the back of your room. Yeah. But uh, but I guess that's that's the way they that the approach they've taken. Is, are they even actually in? They're not even in a single con- uh, shell, are they? They're just literally two yeah, projectors. It's just two projectors <laughs> clamped on top of each other. Uh, the projection company that were doing it correctly. Um, unfortunately, we never had time to go in and have a look at the demo, which I'm kicking myself about because it was supposedly uh, a really really good demonstration. Was uh, digital projection who do do it right, although they will charge you uh, upwards of uh, £70,000, I think it was uh, the last price that Neil mentioned. But they also had uh, what would have been about a six-metre screen outside, ambient light, three Titan projectors uh, blended onto this screen, and it looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it did look amazing. <laughs> it was incredible what you could achieve, uh, what they can achieve. I mean, obviously you pay for it, but uh, the performance, considering it was, as you say, Phil, out, out out in the open and on the show floor on a huge screen was just amazing absolutely amazing the image yep so uh i guess that was could... that was the highlights from from syria yeah that, that probably was okay so come back and join us in a sec and we're going to go through uh some of the review products we've had through recently and also give you a couple of sneak peeks contact the av forums podcast email podcast at avforums.com 
So to wrap up uh, the Home Cinema Podcast for this month, uh, we're going to quickly go through some of the items we've had through for review. And I guess, Steve, one of the uh, most hotly anticipated uh, reviews since we did our EFA coverage, uh, the forums went wild for the uh, for more information on the PX990. Uh, you've now had it in for review. Uh, it's been fully reviewed. We did take our time with it, folks, so we, uh, so we gave you the absolute gist of everything uh, about this new panel from LG. Now, it's not a world beater, is it, Steve? But very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there, there, there are always pros and cons to anything. But overall, I think um, I think the PX990 is, is, is an excellent TV. You know, I mean, LG are trying to, I mean, a lot of people were going on, on the forums after the review was posted saying, oh, you know, is it just a, a, a PK990 with 3D added? Well, no, you don't just add 3D to a display for a start. Um, it was clearly... Uh, you know, an iteration in terms of performance from the PK990, and specifically, when I did the review, I actually re- read through um, the, the issues that David raised in his PK990 review, and looked for those issues on the on the on the PX990. And it looks to me, at least, it seemed that LG had obviously been listening to feedback, not necessarily just from us, but from other people as well, and had addressed all the issues that had been raised. Um, so. I think full marks to LG for doing that for a start. Secondly, you know, they've really been pushing the idea of using THX in order to have some kind of um, pre-calibrated preset, um, you know, and people are used to having the 2D um, THX preset. Uh, And on the whole, uh, for my testing of LG displays with the 8900 and also with the PX990, um, they have been pretty accurate out of the box. In fact, the 8900, um, the LE8900, was incredibly accurate out of the box. So full marks there, once again, for trying to give consumers you know, something that they they can get them within the ballpark without having to necessarily pay for a calibration. Um, and then, of course, there are all the calibration controls on top of that, which allow a professional to get you a, a really good calibrated image, because ultimately you need to tailor it to the, to the viewing environment. Um, they've got a 20 point or 21 point um, grayscale calibration controls which is brilliant although my god it takes me a long time to have to actually do each five re step um, and they have um, well they have the CMS which is still not perfect because it's still basically you know uh, two controls when it should be the uh, full three controls so I mean once again we've raised that in our reviews but um, but yeah they're addressing, uh, trying to give you an accurate image out of the box, trying to give you the controls to get an even more accurate image if, if, if you want to go to Calibrator in or do it yourself, maybe if you have the equipment. Um, and trying to provide um, also, on top of all that, um, some kind of standard uh, for 3D, which is one of the big problems we've got right now is that when it comes to 3D viewing, there isn't really any industry standard in terms of calibrating a display, and it's all pretty much trying to boost the brightness as much as you can without affecting the colors too much. Uh, and so having someone like THX get involved is definitely a benefit because, you know, I, I was lucky enough to spend some time with the THX guys when we were in CD Atlanta, um, you know, and talking to the guys who actually designed the uh, the program for creating 3D uh, certification for 3D displays. Uh, and, and, you know, I know the things that they were doing to these TVs and, and projectors in order to, cat- to certify them, things like, you know, uh, the level of crosstalk, things like performance of the glasses, things like um, off-angle viewing, things like um, um, you know the, the the brightness of the image, things like the color accuracy. So so you know um, it's it's at the moment as close as we've got with some kind of standard. Um, so once again, uh, I guess f- full marks for LG for being the first ones out of the gate with that. There are lots more to come, I'm sure. Uh, other manufacturers will follow with with, with their own certification um, and projectors as well. 
but um, but overall, it was a good performing uh, a panel. I mean, I thought the the image was good, accurate, nice to look at. Um, uh, you know, uh, good video processing. Uh, so overall, I, I was very pleased with it. One of the traits of the LG screens in the past, certainly the plasmas, has been image retention. But you had a good look uh, at, the, at the TV. You actually sat and watched the whole of season four of Heroes. I'll ask you yeah, if it was any good <laughs> at, at the end of this. But um, the, the, what was the the issues with retention? Um, I mean, every plasma has it uh, in some degree or another, depending on on your use of the screen. But uh, how did it perform? It performed very well. I mean, you're absolutely right, Phil. I mean, you know, let's get this straight. Okay, every plasma has image retention. Okay, it is just the nature of the technology. The question is how much. And for my money, if you're watching material, normal viewing material, movie, TV show, whatever, and you're not seeing anything, you know, retained in the image as you're watching stuff, then that's good. Obviously, if you've got watching a football match and they've got the score up in the corner for half an hour. You're going to have a retained image after that. I mean, every every plasma will do that. The question then becomes how quickly it disappears. Uh, for my money, um, watching the PX990, as you said, Phil, I did actually watch whole of season four of Heroes on Blu-ray on the PX990, and I never had any issues with image retention on normal, you know, watch normal material. Uh, it was a lovely image, uh, very enjoyable to look at. Black levels look great. I mean, yes, they're not as good as uh, Panasonic. I know that LG's blacks have not been, you know, perhaps have been not the best. Certainly in the past, they've been pre pretty weak. They've certainly improved. They've raised their game a bit on that one. That I think the true black filter does help. Um, the blacks still aren't you know, as good as some of their competitors. But, you know, um, in actual viewing material, as opposed to measuring with a meter, in a, you know, and which some people will, will, will rave on about. I mean, actual viewing material, uh, that's great. Black bars on, on 2.35 to 1 movies look fine. So, you know, I, I found it to be a very pleasing image, and I enjoyed watching Heroes in, on, on the PX990. Yeah, and... Shame about, shame about the show itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, it's one of these things that will always get discussed on forums, uh, certainly the American forums, that uh, seem to go to really great lengths uh, about the whole black level thing. Um but it's one of these things, Steve, that sometimes uh, it can be the curse of the enthusiast that it gets uh, too much prevalence over other really important things that really should be in the image as well, not just black. Yeah, quite. I mean, ultimately, you know, the, old, the, the deciding factor of the black level of your display is the viewing environment that you're in. Uh, and if you ask the guys at THX or the guys at ISF, that's what they'll tell you. You know, if you've got white walls in your, <laughs> in your viewing environment, you know, it's going to destroy your black levels anyway. Um, people who are talking about measurements, I mean, how 0 0.01 against 0 0.001, do you think really that means anything? I mean, it's meaningless. And it also depends on how accurate the meter they're using is, what meter they're using, what environments, how many are they taking an average? You know, if they can basically just be down a, a rabbit hole on this one. Um, the same thing goes with people who get perhaps a bit obsessed with, you know, calibrating the grayscale down to like, you know, 0, 0, half a... Yeah, uh, there's 0.5 on the on 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 each measurement. You know, if, if you're below three on on a delta e, it's pretty much uh, in short of the human eye anyway. So after that, you're just kind of doing tiny iterations, and you know, it can become a bit obsessive. I think at some point. Yeah, it's, it seems to be the trap that that certainly some professionals and even uh, even more enthusiasts get into that um, those lines on those graphs have to be uh, absolutely uh, uh, ruler flat. Um, and and I guess it's it's a message that we, we we're going to have to keep repeating to people that um, you know your important measurements there are your luminance and your delta e and your grayscale. Your grayscale is the most important 
along with the luminance, along with your Delta E's. Uh, CMS is nice. Um, if you can get accurate colors to Rec 709, that's nice to have. It's nice and on the cake. Um, but like you say, Steve, I mean, anything under a Delta E of 4 or 3, unless there's an, an obvious issue on the screen, and let's remember, people, uh, it's not just what's in the graphs, it's what's uh, actually happening on the screen and the experience of, uh, of the individual calibrator or the individual reviewer in terms of uh, assessing that image, you're not going to see it. You know, so if you're under 3 Delta E across the board, uh, consider that a good, a really good uh, performance. And as long as there's nothing obvious on screen that the meter's not picking up, then you're done. Move on. Yeah, quite. Exactly. I mean, I've, I've calibrated displays before where the graphs look perfect and, and, the, and the stair step grayscale looks absolutely appalling. So, you never, you know, you always need to, at the end of the day, you always need to put on some real material, some material idea that you're familiar with and actually watch something. <laughs> That's the end. At the end of the day, you know, if it looks good, then there you go. We seem to come back to these <laughs> these discussion points all, uh, all the time on a regular basis, but it is important to get across there. And I mean, at the end of the day, Steve, I mean, our job is is education. Um, have a look at these these products. Give a, a, an a, an unbiased and accurate assessment of the product. Uh, but folks, don't rely just on reviews to buy products. You know, do your own research. And ultimately, if you're spending four thousand pounds on a TV or a projector go and see the product yourself. Uh, yeah. Go and assess the product yourself. Unfortunately, us humans, we're not all the same. Um, I say unfortunately, I think it's a good thing that we're not all the same. We all like different things. We all assess things in a different way. And certainly uh, visual acuity, uh, some people will pick up flicker on plasmas. Other people won't pick up that flicker. Some people see crosstalk. Some people will never see crosstalk. Some people will see the 50 hertz issue on the latest Panasonic. Some people just oblivious to it. So go and check it out yourselves. But obviously, use the reviews as part of your research. Uh, yeah, I mean, a good example of that is uh, is the Sim, the Miko 50 that I reviewed, which um, you know uses LED lighting, um, flashing on and off basically, and, and was meant to eliminate the rainbow effects that the color wheel created on their previous projectors. But uh, in actual fact, a friend of mine who was very susceptible to uh, to rainbows came and had to look at it, and for him it was unwatchable. So there you go, you know, I mean, 20 grand projector, but if you hadn't demoed it, just bought on based upon my review, you know, he'd have been very disappointed. Yeah. So you definitely need, you know, if, you, if you're going to buy something, you've got to look at it yourself to, before you really actually part with the money, I think. And well, particularly, if it's, maybe not if it's a very cheap thing, but, um, you know, if you're talking about two, three thousand pounds, you'd be insane not to demo it beforehand. Yeah, folks, uh, at the end of the day, it's your choice, your money, make sure you demo the product. For up-to-the-minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. It's good to be a geek, and if you're a geek and uh, you like to uh, get the best out of your equipment, then uh, Pierce Clark and uh, Spectrical are putting on uh, an event in Telford at Grace Hotel on the 22nd of November. Uh, there is a story on the front page of the forums if you want to go and find out about that. It's basically a one-day course, Steve. Um, they're going to go through the basics of calibration, lots of hands-on. It's the type of thing we like to see with these courses, lots of hands-on, and I guess we've really got to push the education thing here and, and say to people, you know, the £250, it's going to be well spent going to, on courses like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, when you get a chance to use things like Calman, uh, which is absolutely amazing in what it can do now, 
um, you know, people will be stunned at how, 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 you know, just how much you can do these days in terms of calibration and how easy it is, really. Uh, it's so automated now that, um, you know, compared to the old days, it's just an absolute breeze doing a calibration. So, yeah, they'll find that really interesting and get a chance to, you know, get some, as you said, get some hands-on experience with some really interesting kit. Now, it's, uh, the course is for uh, professionals, but of course, uh, enthusiasts are welcomed along in that. So, if you want, like I say, if you want to find out more information, then the story is on the front page of the forums. Uh, and I guess that wraps everything up uh, that we're going to speak about this month. Uh, we've been on an hour. I think that's long enough, Steve, for us to ramble on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but do come back and join us for the next Movies Podcast. Uh, we're recording that on Sunday, so that should be out in a week's time. Uh, we're going to talk about the latest movie releases and news. And, of course, we'll be back with another home cinema podcast. It's the last one of the year. And I guess, Steve, we've got to talk about the products that have uh, really made the year and, and the best products of the year. Yeah, absolutely. We'll come up with our, with our best of the year um, for you guys next time. Yep, and uh, that's one podcast you should not miss. So thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again very soon. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.